Hopefully you're there in Genesis 22. Genesis 22, it's almost a culmination of the life of Abraham, a life that we've been studying the past few Sundays here at the church. And Abraham, at this point, he's anywhere from 100 to 130 years old. That's where he's at at this point. But the Lord still has more for him. There's still a deeper relationship that he can have with the Lord. And the Lord is going to provide a test for him to see what's going on in his heart. A test for him to see, do I really love the Lord more than anything else in my life? He was willing to walk away from Ur of the Chaldeans, a booming city where they had ancient hot tubs and bathhouses and stuff like that. And he was willing to leave from there to go into the wilderness, not having a final destination, but just following the Lord. And he's had many ups and downs. We saw how he fell once again. He lied about his wife. He lied about himself. He's had a lot of ups, a lot of downs. But the last few chapters, we see him growing in his walk and relationship with the Lord. We see a priority in his life of waking up early to hear from the Lord. We see a priority in his life to be quick to obey the Lord when God speaks to him through his wife or through the Lord himself. We see him growing and willing to give the Lord anything that he asks for, knowing that he is more than worth it. In chapter 21, he finally saw his promise answered, his prayer answered. After 25 years of being in the school of faith, Abraham and Sarah finally have their son Isaac, the son they've been praying for, the son they've been waiting for. And now the Lord will test them to see, hey, do you love Isaac more than me? So let's read verse 1 through 8, and then we'll come back and break down the verses. Genesis chapter 22, verse 1, it reads, Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Take now your son. Your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him, Isaac, his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go over there, and we will worship and return to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife, so the two of them walked together. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father, and he said, here I am, my son, And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. The Lord allows tests to come into our lives. Maybe your Bible reads that God was going to tempt Abraham. That's a very poor translation of what's happening here. This is much more a test than a temptation. In a sense, God is bringing Abraham into court and putting him on trial to see, Abraham, 
who do you truly love the most? And God, he's not producing or creating faith and obedience within Abraham at this moment. God is allowing a test to reveal the true level of faith and obedience in Abraham. And the same is going to happen in each and every one of our lives. Let's turn to James chapter 1. A few very important biblical truths for us to know in James chapter 1. It reveals to us that the Lord, again, he doesn't provide temptations, for that's the devil's work. What the Lord provides and allows are trials and tests to reveal, hey, what's really going on in my heart. We know that the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? So every once in a while, the Lord allows a test or trial for us to look in the mirror and say, oh, my goodness, I do not love the Lord as much as I thought I did. Or sometimes he allows a test and trial to come in our lives and we say, oh, my goodness, I've grown. I've matured. What in the world has happened? I used to fall to this. And now the Lord is strengthening me and maturing me to continue to grow and walk with him. In James chapter 1, verse 12, it tells us, Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. God does not tempt us, family. He allows tests and trials to come into our life. Now what the Lord does do is in 1 Peter chapter 1, a couple pages to the right, if you were there with us in James, the Lord tests our faith to show if it's approved, to show if it's real, to show if it's fake, to show if we're a true disciple or if we're just a make-believer. Sometimes it can reveal to us if we are a wheat or a tear, if we're a goat, or if we are a true sheep and lamb in the fold of God. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 through 9, it tells us, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls again the lord will test us family and god he's an all-knowing god he's outside of time he created time he's in time he knows everything that's going on within each and every one of us and many times these tests and trials come up not for god to see oh let me see who zach really is but for zach to see who zach really is or for the people around me to see oof that guy was just a make-believer he wasn't real with the lord or for others to see, oh my goodness, I can't believe this person's 
walking through this trial and still trusting in the Lord and still having faith and belief that the Lord is going to hold them. It shows us, it reveals to us what's going on in the depths of our hearts. Abraham's line of communication is still very open with the Lord. He's talking with the Lord. We're going to see soon how he wakes up early once again to obey the Lord. But because his line of communication is open with God, he's ready and willing for this test. He replies, here I am, Lord. Here I am. And if we're honest, many times when tests and trials come, we say, nobody's home, Lord, right? God, nobody's here. I'm not ready for that. Not this again. Things are smooth right now. I don't want none of that. But later on, what we'll see is it's more than worth it when we go through these various trials. James chapter 2, verse 20, it tells us faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. And many times we can say, I love the Lord, or we sing these incredible songs we just sung, right? All hail King Jesus. We sing, let my life, Lord, man, take my life. It's all yours, not my life, not my will. Yours be done. But without any work behind it, it's just a bunch of hot air. And I think we've all been there when someone, they're just spewing out a bunch of hot air, right? Maybe it's a relationship or a friendship. Maybe it was a bogus warranty, right? And you thought, man, this is real. This is good. You go to get it and nothing's happening. It was all fake. I don't know if you've been on the playground recently, but as kids, I remember we used to say, hey, if I really wanted to, I could climb to the top of that tree. I just don't feel like doing it right now, right? I think we've all been there. If I wanted to, I could throw this baseball 100 miles an hour. I just don't feel like doing it right now, right? It's just a bunch of hot air. It's not real. We see in marriage how we proclaim, we give our vows for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer. The marriage is great at the wedding day. The marriage is great in the honeymoon. Then a month goes by, two months go by. We lose our jobs. Somebody gets sick. And those vows were just a bunch of hot air. There's no work behind that faith. Our faith needs to have work. It needs to have action against it. In verse 2 of Genesis 22, now the Lord gives him his test. He brings him to court and he reveals the case. And he says, take now your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. A great question for us to ask throughout this message or throughout our day, throughout our lives is, am I giving God my best? Am I giving God my best? And here, what God asks of Abraham is his absolute best. He's asking Abraham for the thing in which he loves the most. He asks of him for his only son. And there's a lot we can pull from here. First and foremost, it shows that Abraham was completely obedient to the Lord in chapter 21 when he sent away Hagar and Ishmael. He was being obedient to God. It also shows that the Lord is recognizing Isaac as Abraham's only true son, the son of the Spirit and the son of promise. It must also be heart-wrenching for Abraham. Again, a son in his old age, he's 100 years old when he has his son. We've all met people like that. Maybe you're the youngest kid and you just say, hey, your parents are more like grandparents, right? 
and they treat you, they spoil you, they give you whatever you want. Imagine a 100-year-old and a 90-year-old having a baby, right? They're getting all the candies, they're getting everything. The pata bocadito, they're getting everything, right? The mata with the leche condensada, they're getting everything, right? They're getting blessed and spoiled. But now he needs to say, Lord, do I love you more or do I love Isaac more, right? The son whom you love. This is the first time in the entire Bible that we see that word love. And it's the love between a father and a son who's about to be sacrificed. And we're going to constantly see the pictures and the back and forth between Abraham, Isaac, and his sacrifice, and God, and Jesus, and his sacrifice. We're going to see the pictures come back and forth, reminding us that all of God's word, all of this life, it all points back to Christ. It's all a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? Your son, your only son whom you love and offer him on one of the mountains. John 3.16, maybe you know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. The pictures are going to be happening for us. And we need to ask ourselves if God was willing to give his best why am I not willing to give mine? Why am I not willing to give mine? I'm so grateful for our God. He never asks of us more than he is willing to pay. He's never asking us to do more than what he's already done. I know, I hope you do. I know I love people who teach by example. Not saying, hey, follow as I say, but not as I do. No, they're, they're going ahead of you and they're saying, hey, follow me. Let's do this together. And that's what the Lord does with us. He says, hey, I want your best, but he already gave us his absolute best. Sometimes we can get bitter at the Lord, we can get mad at God, and we can say, do you even love me, right? Do you even remember me? Do you even know who I am? I remind you, look to the cross, for there's no greater action of love that God can show us or bestow on us than putting his son, his only son whom he loved, to death. To save us, to take our place, to take our position. Remember that, family. Someone died in order to save you. Someone died to take your place. And for Abraham, every part of this sentence from God must have hurt more and more. It must have been more and more difficult. Lord, you need me for a trial. You need me for a test. Lord, I'm ready. You want me to take my son? Okay, my only son? The son who I love? And you want me to go with him on a two-day journey to then sacrifice him? It must have hurt every part of his being. Robert Jameson, he says, Every circumstance mentioned was calculated to give a deeper stab at the parental bosom of Abraham. To lose his only son and by an act of his own hand. It's one thing to sacrifice him to someone else or to put him somewhere in the Lord to take care of it. But he had to do the work. And parents, family, who is the true priority in our lives? Is it truly the Lord? Should we be singing all hail king somebody else, right? You put in your, your name there. You put in your kid's name. Right? As Pastor Raza's great, all hail king Harvey, right? You put your little king there. Your little kid, your son, your daughter. Maybe it's your dog. Maybe it's your boss. Who are you truly worshiping? Who is the chief priority in your life? The chief determining factor in your life? Is it really God? Or is it our kids? 
Is it our spouse? Is it our jobs, work, money? Is it our emotions? Who are we most prone to obey? Are we more prone to obey the Lord or our emotions, our families? And what does the fruit of our lives show? The fruit of our lives where we spend our free time. A.W. Tozer says when you have free time to think, that's who you really are. When you have free time to think, the things that you think about, that is who you really are. What you think about in your free time. Let's turn to Luke chapter 14. And Christ himself gives us a warning of loving anyone or anything more than him. Luke chapter 14. And I'll be honest with you, the first half, the first three quarters of this message of this chapter, it's really hard. It's really difficult for someone to say, hey, are you willing to give me your best? Are you willing to give me your only son? Right? I put myself in Abraham's sandals and I have three kids. But I could never imagine having to give up one of my kids for the Lord, actively doing that. But afterwards, we're going to see that the Lord is always faithful that anytime we sacrifice for him or give our best to him, he gives us his best. That we don't see any regret or remorse in Abraham, but blessing and praise to God. In Luke chapter 14, verse 25, it says, Now large crowds, big masses of people were surrounded and were going along with him, speaking of Jesus. And he turned to them and said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, and wife, and children, and brothers, and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Again, the language here, God is not asking us to actively hate our own family and relatives. He's not asking you to get a dartboard and start throwing darts at your spouse or at your kids. If you do that, shame on you, right? You shouldn't be doing that. But what he's saying is compared to the love that you have for God, there can be no other. He needs to be the chief love in our lives. If not, it tells us, it warns us that we cannot be his disciple. We cannot come after him. We need to carry our own cross. And for some of us, it's easier It's much easier to put aside our spouse or our parents or our kids or our siblings, but it ends with the most difficult one, our own life. All hail King Zach, right? That's what we should really be singing. All hail King, my pride. All hail King, whatever is easiest, whatever is most comfortable. Instead of saying, Lord, whatever you want, I am willing to go there. No matter how difficult, no matter how much it hurts, no matter how frightened I may be, Lord, I'm willing to give you my all. To follow Jesus, to truly be his disciples, he has to be the chief determining factor in my life. Not money, right? When we make decisions, lots of times we think about money. Okay, is this more money, less money? What am I going to do here? Maybe it's comfort. Is this going to be most comfortable? Is this what's going to be easiest? Sometimes it's people. Do I really like these people? Do I really want to spend time with these people or not, right? And you're making your decision there. But for us to sit back and say, Lord, what would you have me to do? Lord, what does your word say in this situation? What would you have me to do? And the sweet thing is if we truly are following the Lord, we're going to be the best spouse ever. We're going to be the best sons and daughters ever. We're going to be the best brother, the best sister if we're truly following the Lord I cannot have a greater love or obedience to my parents, my siblings, my spouse, 
or even my children than I have to Jesus Christ and his word. And again, family, we cannot have a greater love or obedience to our own selves, our own flesh, our own pride, than we have to Christ Jesus and his word. He has to. He has to be the chief determining factor. He has to. When God's word tells us that, hey, you need to confess your sin one to another, and then the Lord, he's going to, man, forgive you of your sins. He's going to work that out through you. And then what do we say? No. My pride does not want that. I don't want to admit that I'm wrong to anyone. So, Lord, you go on the back burner. My pride, you go as chief. That's what's happening there, right? When we're in those battles and those fights and someone at work that we can't stand does something, and now we backstab them, we slash their tires, we take all their power cables out of their computer, put a magnet on their CPU, whatever you do, what you're saying is, no, I want my will to be done. Forget loving my enemy, forget giving them a cup of water. I'm getting revenge, baby, that's what I'm doing, right? And you're worshiping yourself, you're putting yourself as the chief determining factor in your life. Again, parents, is Christ the chief determining factor in our parenting, in our parenthood? In 2 Timothy chapter 3, it gives us a warning of what the last days will look at. It gives us a list of things that we should look for. And as you read verse 1 through 5, it's almost like one of these things just doesn't look like the other, right? One of these things just isn't the same. You almost feel like Sesame Street as you go through this verse. And we need to see what God has to say about parenting, about our lives. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 5, Paul, he knows he's about to die. He's about to grow on his final cruise. And he tells Timothy, but realize this, that in last days difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control. They will be brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, and conceited. They will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding on to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these. Again, sometimes our kids disobey and we laugh. We think it's cute. We say, oh, they're just going through a phase or they're just going through their thing. We don't say, how cute, my little son. He's just a lover of pleasure more than lover of God, right? He's just going through a phase. It's so cute, so beautiful, right? We don't say that. So how do we treat our kids when they're disobedient? Is it a serious offense to us? Or do we see it as God sees it? Or do we just mess around with it, right? How cute, my kid, he's unholy. Just a phase, he'll get through it, right? He'll come back around. No, we need to work on these things. And it's much more difficult, it's a lot more work to be a good parent, to be a biblical parent. But it's always worth it, family. It's always worth it. That people would be able to see the Lord through our kids, how they act, how they respect. And are they going to make mistakes? Are they going to do bad things? Yup. Why? Because their parents did bad things and made mistakes, right? But can people see Christ through our kids? Can they see Christ through the discipline of our kids? In Romans chapter 1, verse 25 through 32, it gives us another list. We don't have time to go there. But it reads, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, 
disobedience of parents. Again, all in the same list. Little Harvey, he's so cute. He's just an inventor of evil, right? Pobrecito, right? All of us, we go through that. No, we need to be careful when our kids are being disobedient. Through love, through grace, through mercy, but let us take serious what the Lord takes serious. May he always be the true chief and ruler within our lives. We go back to Genesis chapter 22, and Abraham is given his test. He needs to sacrifice his son, his only begotten son, in order to just be obedient to God. And in verse 3, so Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey, and he took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, and he split the wood for burnt offering, and he arose and he went to the place which God had told him. Again, we see Abraham continuing his practice of rising early in the morning. He continues with this practice. He also is continuing to obey the Lord as soon as he can. We see no delay here within Abraham. There's no wasting of time. David Guzik, he says, Abraham trusted God even when he didn't understand. Abraham, he didn't debate or seek counsel from others. He had no stalling tactics to obey the Lord. Abraham, he trusted God even when he didn't feel like it. His emotions did not matter. God had trained Abraham, bringing him to this place of great trust. He had left Ur of the Chaldeans. He had Isaac after 25 years, and he sent away Ishmael. And now this was going to be his greatest test yet. But we see him going for it right away. He doesn't stall. He doesn't put out a fleece. He doesn't go on Google or Reddit and say, hey, am I supposed to do this? God's asking me to sacrifice my son. What do you guys think, right? He doesn't call his best friend. He doesn't go to every single one of the ten pastors to get an answer that he wants, right? None of us do that. He obeys the Lord right away. He says, Lord, this is what you tell me to do. I'm going to go for it. Abraham, he didn't have the whole Bible. We have the Bible. So now when the Lord asks some things of us, we can go to the Word and say, hey, is this really biblical or not biblical? No, the Lord's not going to ask anyone to physically sacrifice their son right now or today. Just like the Lord's not asking anybody to build an ark and get two of every single animal today either, right? We like to pick and choose madness. And the wording here suggests that Abraham did all this work by himself. Although he had many servants, although he was very wealthy, he is the one who gets up early in the morning and gets the donkey ready. He's the one out there early in the morning, splitting the wood, chopping the wood, getting it ready for the sacrifice. He's the one preparing everything for their four-day trip to head out to the place which God had told him. Another one of the beautiful things and details of this portion of Scripture is that Abraham went to Mount Moriah to sacrifice Isaac. And this would be the same mountain. You can ask some of the people that came back from Israel. This is the same mountain where Solomon would build the temple. And this is the same mountain range where Jesus Christ would be sacrificed for us, for our sins. God the Father sacrificing his only begotten son. What Abraham is truly doing here is trusting the promiser more than his promise. That's what he's trusting in. That is who he is seeking. Is not the promise that the Lord had given him or had told him, but he's saying, Lord, whatever you have for me, even if I lose the thing that you just gave me. And many of us, we will go through this sort of scenario, and sadly, we see people fall and fail in this scenario. You see someone praying for a spouse for years and years and years. The Lord gives them the spouse, 
I can't make it to church as often. I can't be there. I need to do X. I need to do Y. I need to do Z. And they slowly pull back. And then years go by. And then you see the marriage end in a divorce. Someone's praying for a job. They haven't had a job for months or years. The Lord finally blesses them with a job. But then they start working on Sundays. They start working on Wednesdays. They stop going to church. And then years go by. And man, they've completely fallen away from God. Family, may we seek the promiser and not the promise. Family's praying, begging for a kid. The Lord finally gives them that child, and man, you don't see them anymore. They don't even raise that child that they've prayed for years. They don't even raise them in the things of God. May we seek the Lord above everything else. Verse 4, it says, on the third day. Again, it's amazing. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes, and he saw the place from a distance. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go over there. And we will worship and return to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and he laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. And so the two of them walked on together. Abraham, he tells the young man, hey, we're going to go up and we will worship the Lord there. This is the first time where we see worship in all the Bible. It's the first time it's mentioned in the Bible. And it is literally to bow down. That's literally what it means. We're going to go over there and bow down to the Lord. We're going to bow down to our king. Family worship is not about feelings. For Abraham would much rather have not have to go up to the mountain and sacrifice Isaac and have to worship the Lord. I'm sure he would have much rather stayed home. But it's about bowing down and realizing who God is and who we are. And how we've twisted worship today. Worship is all about who in many churches today. It's all about me, right? How I feel, my emotions, am I comfortable? It's about gold dust falling from the sky and all sorts of things happening, right? I mean, we bring worship back to what it should be. Us bowing down, realizing who God is and realizing who we are, right? That we are but dust. Abraham, he tells the young men, we will return to you. Abraham, he had great faith and trust in the Lord. We don't see him lacking. We don't see him wavering. We don't see him freaking out. He doesn't tell the two guys, hey, I'll be back. I don't know about Isaac, but I'll see you guys back in a little bit, right? That's not what he tells them. He says, hey, we will both go, and we're both going to come back. Throughout the years of Abraham's friendship and relationship with God, he got to know him more and more. And he knew that he was faithful. He knew that he promised him that he would have a son and that through Isaac all his descendants would be blessed, that there'd be as many as sand on the seashore. So he knew God has to bring him back to life. He's not going to die. He's trusting in God's character and not just what made sense. He didn't start having an argument with God. God, you just gave me this kid. You're going to kill him? doesn't make sense, Lord. You promised me this. This doesn't make sense. I'm not going to obey you until it makes sense. That's not faith. That's not faith or trust in the Lord. Hebrews 11, if you're quick, we'll turn there. It gives us an idea, a perspective, and the heart, the mind of what was going on in Abraham. What he was thinking, what he was believing through this test. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 16, it tells us, But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. And therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared a city for them. 
By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. No one had been raised from the dead yet. We don't see in scripture. It's not later on until Elijah and Elisha that people start coming back from the dead through the Lord and through prophets. But he had such a belief and faith and trust in God and his character. They said, Lord, you can do the impossible. And it's crazy because God asks of him a burnt offering, a burning sacrifice. And to have a burnt offering, you would kill the animal. You would light the fire and you would let the fire completely consume the sacrifice. There would be nothing left for you. Some other sacrifices, it was almost like a barbecue or parriada. They would put the animal there. They would give the fat to God and then they'd eat the meat for themselves. Not this one. It was a complete sacrifice for the Lord. And yet he trusted. He concluded, Lord, you can even bring my son back from the ashes. He was willing to let go of what he loved most. In order to be obedient to the Lord. He takes up all the tools. He brought all the preparations. Right? If it was me, oops, Lord, I left the knife at home. Oh, well, right? God, you see my heart. You see what's going on. I left the fire. Oh, my goodness. I'm 130 years old. I forgot the ginkgo loba. Sorry, man. I'm sorry. I messed up. But, Lord, you see my heart. No, he had everything prepared to be obedient to God. He was not going to make any mistake there. Charles Spurgeon, he says, Abraham took the knife up the hill he did not leave it behind their claim to forget it. That knife was cutting into his own heart all the while. And yet he took it. Unbelief, it would have left the knife at home. But genuine faith takes it. May we have genuine faith, family. Action. Action to our faith. It also tells us the two of them walked together. And as we read this chapter, we can't help but focus on Abraham's great faith and trust in the Lord here. But we also have to realize Isaac. Isaac is going along all with this trial and test that God has for his dad. And Isaac, he's not like a two-year-old or a five-year-old just playing, hey, Isaac, let's play this game together, right? No, Isaac is anywhere between 17 to 30 years old. And he's being obedient to his father. 100 years old, 130 years old, and he's being obedient to his dad, right? He could have easily said, no, Pops, you got it all wrong. God wants me to sacrifice you, right? That's what God told you. You just aren't hearing correctly because of how old you are, right? But instead, he goes along with it. He follows his father's words. He's obedient to his dad even though it doesn't make sense. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and he laid it on Isaac, his son, just as Jesus Christ had to carry the cross, had to carry the wood for his own sacrifice, so would Isaac have to carry up the wood for his. Again, so many pictures of Christ here. Verse 7, Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and he said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Again, perhaps Isaac is reaching out to his pops one last time in case he forgot a sacrifice. In case he forgot something, right? Hey, pops, you're 130 years old. Are you forgetting something here? Isn't there something fluffy and walking on four legs that we're supposed to bring here? 
But Abraham points to the fact that God will provide himself a sacrifice. He will provide for himself the lamb. And these words truly won't come to pass. These words truly won't be answered until Jesus comes. And John the Baptist looks at him in John 1 verse 29. Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is when the Lord will provide for himself the lamb. The lamb that we all need the sacrifice, the substitution for each of us so that we can make it to heaven, so that we don't have to pay our sacrifice in hell for all of eternity. This is what Christ has done for us, family. God sent himself as the sacrifice. You see, something has to die for sin. We read, right, that the wages of sin is death. Romans, it tells us, it also tells us that as lust conceives It brings forth sin, and sin, when it's fully born, when it's fully grown, it is death. So our sins, they need death. They require death. So we can choose. We can die for all of eternity in hell, or we can accept Jesus as the true sacrifice for my sins, live in him, be obedient to his word, and then we get to live in glory. We get to live in heaven for all of eternity. Verse 9, it says, Then they came to the place which God had told him. And Abraham, he's building the altar. He's arranging the wood. He now binds up Isaac, and he lays him on the altar on top of the wood. Again, imagine the turmoil going through Abraham and going through Isaac. But also look at the beauty of their obedience to the Lord. Again, Isaac was a young pup. He could have said, no, I'm not doing this. I'm fighting against you. I'm not going to go through this. And just as Jesus began to sweat blood in his struggle for, Lord, not my will, but yours be done, I'm sure, man, there must have been pain and turmoil in Abraham and Isaac. Verse 10, Abraham stretched out his hand, and he took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Again, the Lord speaks to Abraham. And family, we need to be clear in our line of communication with God. We need to be listening for him. We need to be waking up in the morning so we can hear his voice. We need to be fleeing sin and lusts and things of the flesh so that we can rightly hear and rightly divide God's voice for our lives. When he asks us to stop something, when he asks of us to start something, when he asks us to sacrifice something, are you able to hear his voice? And the Lord tells them, do not stretch out your hand against the lad. The Lord here is showing Abraham, hey, I'm not like the other pagan gods that require human sacrifice. I will bring the sacrifice to bless you. I will bring the sacrifice to save you, to wash your sins and cover your sins. I now know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. When we are really willing to give the Lord, our absolute best on the altar, it proves, it shows that we really have the fear of the Lord. And having such a great and high respect for God 
will reveal that, Lord, nothing's off limits. Lord, I'm willing to give you everything and anything. You have my utmost respect. And maybe you have someone like that. Maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your kids. That they can ask you for anything at any time. And you'll wake up and you'll go and do it. Maybe it's someone you owe a favor to. Someone who got you your job. The person that introduced you to you and your spouse. And you say, hey, for forever, I'll give you anything, right? Maybe your parents mess around with you. Hey, are you going to put my diapers on when I get older, right? And it just sort of depends on, man, the love you have for your parents. If you really respect them and all that they've done for you. And the Lord, he will ask the same for us. Hey, are you willing to do this? Am I worth this? Have I given enough? Have I loved you enough? Will you give me X, Y, or Z? And the Lord's so good to us because he looks at our will, he looks at our motives, and he looks at our heart as the true deed with his people. You see, God, he didn't require Abraham to bury the knife within his son. He looked at his heart. He looked at his motives. He saw that three days ago, Abraham had already made it up in his mind. This is what God asks, so this is what I do. I'm just a soldier. I am just a slave being obedient to my master. David Guzik, he points out that when he finds them truly willing to make the sacrifice he demands, he often does not require it. Family, we need to make it up in our hearts and minds. Sometimes we need to go to that dark place and the quietness and the stillness and say, Lord, would I really love you if something catastrophic would happen to my family? Lord, would I leave you? But I say, for better, for worse, until you touch my kids. Lord, I love you for better, for worse, until you touch my health. Lord, I love you for better, for worse, until you touch my marriage, until you touch my job. And many of us, we have a price where we say, Lord, I love you for anything and everything, but Lord, don't touch. Lord, don't touch my favorite TV show, right? Don't convict me that that TV show is bad. No, Lord, don't go there. My Christianity stops right there, God. Don't do that. And we have our own hobbies. We have our sins that we say, Lord, not this. Hebrews again, it reminds us that when Abraham was tested, he offered up Isaac. James chapter 2, verse 21, right after it tells us that faith without works is dead, it points to Abraham saying, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? He was justified. He was proving that his faith and trust in God was real. So what's going to happen when the Lord asks something of us? Hey, would you come to another service? No, not me, Lord. Would you take your kids on Friday night even though you're tired after work? No, not me, Lord. Hey, would you serve some more? Would you give this up? Would you start tithing your 10%? Would you stop watching this TV show? It will reveal truly what's going on in our hearts. Abraham, he passed his test with flying colors. Not only was he willing to give the Lord his absolute best, but he was willing to do it right away. And family, those tests will come to us. The Lord will ask of us certain things. And notice here, it's not a sin that God is asking Abraham to sacrifice. That goes without saying. When we give up sin, we're not doing God a favor. We're doing ourselves a favor, right? Sin leads to death. So every time we give up sin, it's, hey, don't make me not drink this cup of arsenic, right? I'm going to do you a favor and not drink this cup of arsenic. Hey, can you give me a big hug? I didn't drink the cup of arsenic, man. Aren't you grateful for me? No, that goes without saying. Of course you shouldn't do that. 
And now when we give up sin, of course we shouldn't do that. But oftentimes the Lord will ask of us our absolute best. And will we do it right away? When the Lord asks the things that we love the absolute most, will we give it up right away? This is the path to getting the Lord's best family. Anybody here want God's best for their lives? It's a couple people will pray for everybody else in the room, right? <laughs> the path to getting God's best? It's by giving him our best, right? That's the only way to it. You want the best marriage possible? You have to be giving your absolute best and then hoping, hey, that they give the best in return. But with the Lord, it's guaranteed. He's already given us his best and he's more than willing to give us his best. But we must do our part. Donald Barnhouse, he says, Often there are believers who wonder how they may know the will of God And we believe that 90% of knowing the will of God consists in the willingness to do it before it's known. Are you willing to do it? Are you willing to do the will of God? Oftentimes you say, Lord, what's your will in this giant thing? I don't want to obey you when it comes to sin or X or Y or Z. Lord, I don't want to obey you in these baby steps, reading my Bible and going to church. I don't want to obey you in that. But God, is that the person you want me to marry for the rest of my life, right? Lord, I don't want to obey you in these baby steps, but God, is this the career that you want me to invest the next 40 years of my life in? Lord, I don't want to flee from sin, but do you want me to move to China and become a missionary? We need to do the baby steps before we can ask God, hey, what's, what's your great will for my life? We need to show and reveal that we're willing to obey. Genesis 22, verse 13 and 14. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold... Behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. You see again, family, the Lord still required a sacrifice. Yet he himself provided it. For Abraham and for Isaac, God provided the substitute, which caused Abraham to call that mountain, the Lord will provide. And it's so beautiful that Abraham didn't call the mountain, mountain of great trial, mountain of great pain, mountain of great turmoil, mountain, hey God, you're a big meanie. He didn't call the mountain anything like that. He said, hey, this is the mountain showing, revealing that the Lord will provide. And the same is true for our trials, family. As we go through them, if we go through them in obedience and faith and trust in God, when once we come out of it, when we look back, all we're going to see is, oh, Lord, you provided. Lord, you provided. You helped me get through that crazy and terrible trial. Lord, you are amazing. But now if we don't go about it in God or in his word, if we begin to take shortcuts, if we begin to take what feels best or what pleases our emotions, then it's just going to be the mountain of sorrow. Just like the rich young ruler, the Lord asked of him, hey, give me your best. Take all those things you have. Take all your money. Give it to the poor and come and follow me. But he what? He went away in sorrow. And hopefully that doesn't have to happen to us, family. Hopefully we answer the call of the Lord to give our best. And when we do, we will see God in new light. You see, God, he brought new meaning and revelation of himself to Abraham through the trial. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. And this is also a prophecy for Jesus. 
in the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. And again, 2,000 years, what happens on that same mountain? Jesus, the Son of God, is given as a sacrifice for us. Again, the picture of Jesus and Isaac looking one like another, Isaac being a forepicture of Jesus, it becomes clear and clear. Both were loved by their father. Both were offering themselves willingly. Both of them carried the wood up the hill for the sacrifice. Both were sacrificed on the same hill. And both were delivered from death on the third day. Family, I hope, I pray that you have this relationship with Jesus Christ. We read verses 15 through 19 now. It reads, Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven. And he said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, indeed I will greatly bless you. And I will multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand in which is on the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. And in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. Can you imagine the joy and relief that must have hit Abraham and Isaac? And again, the young men that were there, they, they know nothing of it. They were just sitting there taking a nap. Hey, nothing happened, right? But the amount of relief and joy in Abraham and Isaac, they passed the test. It was all over, and they were obedient with flying colors. They blessed their master. And we don't have to wonder. We can feel the very same thing. If the next time a trial comes up, the next time a temptation comes up, we're obedient to God. We follow him. We're willing to sacrifice anything for him. We will feel that same relief and joy when we answer the call of our master. When he asks us to sacrifice something, we don't have to sit there in agony and anxiety. We can just give it up to him. Isn't that what we sung in the worship time, right? All I got, all I am, all my dreams, all my plans, Lord, I'm holding nothing back from you. And again, we need to hear the voice of God. Because you have obeyed my voice, the angel of the Lord tells him. And we need to hear God's voice. 1 Samuel 15 verse 22, it tells us to obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed is better than the fat of rams. John chapter 10 verse 26 through 28, it tells us my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Revelation chapter 3 verse 30 if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and abide with them. Again, family, we need to hear the voice of our master. That's how we have that relationship, that friendship with him. Verse 20 through 24. Now it came about after these things that it was told to Abraham saying, Behold, Milcah has also borne children to your brother Nahor, Uz his firstborn and Buzz his brother. I will say these are the most amazing twins I've ever seen in the Bible, right? Can you imagine a pair of boys named Uz and Buzz? I mean, I can. I'm waiting for someone at church to have twins and name them Uz and Buzz, right? Maybe in my lifetime. And Kemo, the father of Aram, and Chezed, and Hazo, and Phildash, and Jidlap, and Bethel. And Bethel became the father of Rebekah. And these eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. 
His concubine, who was named Reuma, also bore Teba and Gaham and Tehash and Mecca. All this, and just remember verse 23, unless you want to remember us and buzz, remember verse 23, that he became the father of Rebekah. And in two chapters, we're going to see Rebekah and Isaac. Again, a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ and him coming for us, his bride. Another great picture for single men and women. What does marriage look like or dating or courting or whatever name you want to put on it, right? What does that really look like? Life leading up to marriage. Chuck Smith, he says of this chapter that most have never really tried what God called Abraham to give. Most of us, we've never really tried it. We've never really tried giving God our absolute best. Saying, Lord, you have unrestricted access to my life. You have unrestricted access to my family, my television, my music. Lord, whatever you say, Lord, I will do. You see, family, God's tests usually call us to give our best. It calls us to give the best of our love, the best of our gifts, the best of our service, the best of our loyalty. And when we give our best, it's costly. The best things, they cost a lot of money. But family, we will find it is more than worth it. It cost Abraham his home life, all his personal incentives to life. He gave up the big city. He gave up all the wealth and influence. He gave up his freedom and now was going to submit to someone he had never seen. Even to the point of moving across a desert to a land where there was wilderness, to the point of giving up his only begotten son, the son of his old age. And yet what Abraham discovered is that whatever we give to God, whatever is placed on the altar, it is not lost. For not one hair on Isaac's head was burnt or damaged because the Lord provided a sacrifice for Abraham. We need to take note, family, From the time Abraham gave God his best, he began to receive God's best. Do you want the best that God has for you? It's not name it and claim it. It's more name it and sacrifice it, right? That's how we get God's best is when we're really willing to sacrifice. When we are truly willing to obey the Lord no matter what. Again, most live and die without receiving God's best because they never give God their absolute best. And just like we pointed out, many times the Lord will ask of us just to show what's going on in our hearts. Just to reveal, hey, do you love that job more than you love me? Do you love that person more than you love me? And maybe God's asking you to sacrifice something. Amanda and myself, we test each other from time to time. That last bite of your food, I don't know how much you love food. I really like food. It's really a problem. Um, but when you have that last bite, right, maybe it's a dessert, a brownie a la mode, and you've, you've set it up. You've game planned, right? You have that last bite of ice cream, that last bite of brownie, that last bite of whipped cream and chocolate syrup that's all going to fit on one spoon. And you got it ready. You've planned, you prepared, and then, hey, can I have that last bite? And now the test comes. Do you love her more than that last bite of brownie a la mode, right? Thank the Lord. She usually looks at my heart, and she doesn't make me go through with it. But the Lord, he will test us in that. He will say, hey, this job you just got, this child that you love so much, are you willing to discipline them even though it may hurt you? Even though it's going to hurt them and they're not going to like you. Are you willing to discipline them? 
that boyfriend, that girlfriend, are you willing to break up with them to see if this is really the one that God has for you? That job, that hobby, that toy that you just bought, are you willing to sacrifice it to really get God's best? Again, God brought new meaning and revelation of himself to Abraham. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. And God now makes a new covenant with Abraham. He upgrades his covenant with Abraham. And through Abraham, blessing is to come to the entire world for all of time. Jim Elliot, he's quoted as saying, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I don't know what you did last night before going to bed to ensure that you would be born this morning, that you'd be alive this morning, that you'd wake up this morning. I did nothing, right? It's all the Lord. So are we willing to give up our lives for him? Our lives are fragile. We know life, it comes and goes. It's a vapor. Are we willing to give it up to him and say, Lord, I'm willing to give you my all. I'm in for the ride. I'm buckling up. What do you want to do? Where are we going? Are we willing to go out of our comfort zones? Are we willing to confess our sins to one another? Are we willing to serve more and dedicate more of our time at church? Are we willing to talk to our coworkers, to our family members about God and the things of God? Are we willing to call out other brothers and sisters and say, Hey, I love you, but you're not walking right. I love you, but you're not walking right with the Lord. May we give God our absolute best.